Hello, Image Bearers. Welcome to the Image Born Life Podcast. I am your host, therapist, and life coach, Tony Lamoria. The Image Born Life is all about pursuing the rescue, redeem, and restore narrative that God has called us to through our salvation in Jesus Christ. We're going to be diving deep into our truth, our purpose, and the identity that we have in Jesus. And we're going to be learning together powerful ways to overcome the myriad of things that keep us from freedom, fulfillment, and victorious living. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. This is the Image Born Life. Hey there, friends and fellow image bearers. Welcome back to another episode of the Image Born Life podcast. I hope everyone had a great holiday season, and I can't wait to get going on this stuff again with you. Today is the first day that we're going to jump into an actual topic and deal with something together. If you haven't been with us, then want to let you know what we did in the first several episodes is we talked about several principles that design the framework of this image-born life coaching strategy. Those are truth, purpose, and identity. Those three things together we call the Chi Factor. You can go back and listen to the episode on that. The second one is this rescue, redeem, restore narrative. And then the third was this stewardship of five specific things in our life that we look at to develop a strategy and a way forward for our specific circumstances, no matter what the situation is. Today, we're going to start with this topic of redemptive thinking. Now, redemptive thinking is just my way of talking about thought control within the image-born life strategy. As we do that, we're going to show how we're going to implement the truth, purpose, identity factor, the chi factor, the rescue, redeem, restore narrative, and then look at stewardship within the specifics. All right, so I'm excited about this. We're going to do a couple things if you stick around. We're going to talk about this. I'm going to introduce to you the different things that this has been called in therapy and in life coaching, Uh, and then we're going to jump into what we deal with and how we're going to deal with it, and then we're going to talk about a few tools along the way within there. Now, for the most part, thinking will drive the way we feel, and the way we feel will drive the way we act. And the way we act will produce results in our lives. Uh, Several other people throughout history have recognized this. In fact, ancients recognized this. It's in Plato's writings. It's in some Aristotle's writings. It's in ancient church writings. And it's in the Bible. We'll talk about that a little bit. But first, let me introduce to you the idea as it's presented in other theories and in psychology. And then the one exception to this that I'm aware of scientifically. Okay? So first of all, Other people have talked about thought control and how it affects our life, and generically speaking, that's what CBT is, cognitive behavioral therapy, right? The idea that our cognitions, our cognitive life, our beliefs and thoughts is what drives our behavior. If we want to change our behavior, we have to change our way of thinking. That's probably the most popular form of therapy that exists today if We look a little bit further into that, we will see that a man by the name of Albert Ellis came out of the CBT paradigm and he developed his own model called REBT, Rational Emotive Behavioral Therapy. And he recognized that there's this link in there between thoughts and behavior and its emotions. 
And so based on what our beliefs are, the way that we look at the world, we have feelings and those feelings drive our behaviors. And so REBT was formed a long time ago. And from this, we get this tool called ABC. You may have come up against this sometime in your schooling career, your academic career, or even in businesses, because a lot of people use this now. Very simple model, ABC. What's the antecedent? What's the thing that's popping up in our environment or in our life? What do we think about it? What is our behavior as a result? And then what are the consequences of those? And if we reverse engineer those, we can say, okay, what do I need to change in this chain of events in order to have different results? In the Christian world, um, I have a life coach that I like to listen to. Her name is Laura Malone, and you can find her on the Christian Life Coaching Collective. She has a podcast and uh, a school that she um, teaches her model of life coaching as well. And one of the things she talks about very often is the Pearl Method. And the Pearl Method is stands for paradigm. That's what the P is, and that would be the same as the R in R-E-B-T. Right? The paradigm we start with, and then the emotions that we experience from that paradigm, the actions that we take based off those emotions, the results we get in life from those actions, and then the legacy that we develop and we leave behind because of the pattern and habit of living within that Pearl system. And then Another life coach out there that has a huge influence, and I I like the way that she deals with thought and effects from thinking, she's created this acronym CTFAR, C-T-F-A-R, and it's the same thing as R-E-B-T and PEARL. The C stands for circumstances. What are the circumstances in our life? What are the realities that present themselves in our daily living? What are my thoughts based on that? That's the T. What feelings, F, come from those thoughts? What are the actions or behaviors that I have based on the way that I'm feeling? And then what are the results that I'm getting? Any one of these models, we can reverse engineer it and say, you know, what are the results I'd rather have than the ones I'm having? Okay, then what are the behaviors that I need to exhibit in order to get those results? If I want this to be real and not just momentary behavior modification, what are the feelings I need to have to truly generate those behaviors? If those are the feelings that I want to have, what are the thoughts I need to be thinking or focused on in in order to feel those things? So that's what all these models do. And we are going to apply that same thing in our redemptive thinking, except we're going to start today with what does Scripture have to say? Because this idea, it doesn't agree or align with Scripture, then I have to challenge it and say, I really have to question whether I can use this. But I want to present that Scripture does, in fact, say this. But before we get to that, okay, I want to say this. I mentioned a second ago that there is one exception to thoughts controlling our feelings. Now, because we live in such an extraordinary time where so much great research is happening on the front of trauma and epigenetics, we now understand that trauma is the one area where thoughts controlling feelings can be flipped, because of the way our brain works, I'm not going to go into all of this, but this is my specialty in therapy is working with trauma. And so all the trauma research that I do as well in my PhD, I'm getting my PhD, by the way, and my focus is on the sequela, and you can look that word up, it's just the secondary effects of trauma in a system Okay, so whether that system is an organization or whether that system is a family, sometimes the system can even be internal to one's own self. But we know that 
trauma can be stored in a body. Trauma is not an event, it's an experience that one has. That's why a veteran, such as myself, can come home from combat and have, we'll use the prototypical uh, illustration that everybody's pretty much aware of, a car will backfire and a veteran will drop to the deck. His body's reacting before his brain even has time to process We know this happens because the limbic system in our brain gets disconnected from our prefrontal cortex. The limbic system is the alarm system. It's the part that reacts and sends our body into whatever mechanism needs to happen for protection and response through the sensory input of our body, even before milliseconds before our prefrontal cortex, which is the watchtower part of our brain, appropriately assesses what the trigger was. So this connection between the mind and the body is broken in such a way that now our body responds before our thoughts do. Our feelings respond before our thoughts do. There's really no other place in the human experience where we see this flip of the thought-feeling process, at least not scientifically proven, as it has been in this trauma phenomenon. Okay, but anytime outside of trauma, and the reason I bring this up is if you have something like that going on in your life where you're not able to control those thoughts or there don't even seem to be thoughts present, you need to pursue some mental health help with that because that can be a serious issue. Outside of that, however, when we're talking about thought control and specifically within our image-born model, we're talking about redemptive thinking. Our thoughts come first, and the Bible tells us very specifically to control our thoughts. It says to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Right before that, it's talking about the knowledge of God. So it's saying make our thoughts obedient to what Christ says about anything. This is where our truth, purpose, and identity comes in, right? And then it also says that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but we've been given a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control, or a sound mind. It also says in Romans 12, 2, that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? So that seems to be like, it's, it's a power, it's given to us, but we still have to be disciplined in using it and applying it. Colossians 3.10 says that we're being transformed into the knowledge of the image of our Creator, So again, there's a responsibility for us to go through a process to endure and to be disciplined and do this. And so we can look and say, all right, the Bible obviously says that there is a way for us. Well, I want to propose to you that the book of James is really a book on redemptive thinking, on thought control. I'm going to real briefly give you what the outline of the book of James is. All right. So it starts off by saying this. This is the brother of Jesus writing to the young church, okay? It's, it's exploded, it's growing, but they have a whole bunch of people coming against the ideology, the theology, the philosophies that are growing up around Christianity and what it means to be a Christian and what, what grace really is, how effective and efficient and sufficient it is in our lives. And so... James writes to this young church, and the very first thing he says is, ask for wisdom. He doesn't say, be more disciplined. He says, we need to ask for wisdom. And then he goes on to say, don't be deceived. 
right? Where are we deceived? Are we deceived in our uh, actions or are we deceived in our mind first? We're deceived in our mind. So he's saying, ask for wisdom, so think. And then he says, be doers and not just hearers of the word, but be doers and hearers of the word. So basically what he's saying is saying, it doesn't matter what you say you believe. If you're not thinking about it practically and how you can practically live it out and apply it to your lives, you're just, you're just making noise. You're useless, right? Your thoughts are useless. So he's focusing people on thinking practically in, in their lives. And then he goes on to say, show no partiality. Where does partiality happen? Partiality happens in our minds. That's where all biases and discrimination happens. He says, don't do that. Control your thinking about things. Don't show partiality. Then he goes in to say, show me your faith without works, and I'll show you a faith that's determined by its works. In other words, he's saying again, it doesn't matter what you say. If you're not thinking about it in a practical way and being able to apply it to life based on your thinking, then it doesn't matter. Then he says, tame your tongue. Now think about this. How do you tame your tongue? The only way you can tame your tongue is the old adage that most of our grandparents taught up telling us. You need to think before you act. You need to think before you speak, right? So taming your tongue is all in the mind first. And then at the end, he says, again, ask for wisdom. So it kind of completes the cycle. And then the, the last like chapter and a half of the book of James, it's all about discernment, 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 discernment. So again, let me run through that for you. This is the book of James. He says, ask for wisdom. Then don't be deceived. Then be a doer and not just a hearer. Then don't show partiality. Then apply your faith through works. Then tame your tongue. And then again, ask for wisdom and discern, discern, discern. This is all about the thought life of a Christian. right? So if you want to be encouraged in the fact that you can actually control your thoughts and apply the spiritual power you've been given, then read the book of James. And think through how those things practically encourage you and the power that you have. All right? Okay. So that's James. I've introduced you to a couple ways that it's been used in psychology and in life coaching today, right? Through the REBT model, the Pearl model, and the CTFAR model. But now what I'm going to talk about are a couple things that seem to come against us and that make this difficult. And the first one is a focus on pain. Okay? Now, what I mean by pain is real pain. There are a lot of us who live in real pain. I've had some good friends who have left this life because they could not handle the pain that they had to live with daily. I've seen that happen to other people. There's also psychological pain that happens for people. And some people make the same decision to take their life because they can't handle the mental pain that they live with on a daily basis. Those kind of pains are real, and I just want to acknowledge that. But there is a focus on that kind of pain. When that pain is so prevalent and so in your face all the time, it becomes a focus, and we don't focus on anything else. And this is very difficult, but it is God's solution. He says, take captive those thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. All right, and I'm going to talk about in a second how do we implement TPI for that in the RRR. The TPI is the Truth, Purpose, Identity, and the RRR is that Rescue, Redeem, Restore narrative. How do we take that and apply that as we, as we try to take control of our thoughts, right? But first, that's, that's the first one is focus on pain. The second one is a focus on fear. When we focus so much on fear in life, we allow it to rob us of the thing that we're supposed to steward, 
which is our mind, which is our focus, which is God's agenda and design for our life. So we can focus on pain. We can focus on fear. Are either one of those problems for you sometimes? Focusing on the pain in your life or focusing on fear, worrying, right? Philippians 4 gives us an antidote for that. So does Matthew chapter 6. And that's to focus on gratitude and presenting your request to God, leaving those requests at the altar, and then going on our way. Again, thinking good things, focusing on positive thoughts, right? That's Philippians 4. And then both that and Matthew focus on gratitude as the antidote and then focusing your thoughts on kingdom work. We'll focus on that another time specifically when we talk about anxiety and fear. But today I'm talking about fear as a focus that disrupts us from the ability to redeem our thinking and take it under control. So we can focus on pain, we can focus on fear, but here's the number one thing I think that scripture tells us is the primary hurdle for us in controlling our thoughts. And that is a focus on stubborn desires. Scripture tells us that there are numerous kinds of desires in this life that will try and distract us from God's kingdom. And the problem is that when we focus on our stubborn desires, something we want or an expectation that we have of how something should be, we get so caught up in that that we have expectations and hopes. And when they don't happen, it assaults our emotions and our thoughts. And we get sidetracked by that. And we don't recognize this has nothing to do with God's original design and plan. It has to do with something you wanted, hoped for, or expected. And you're so stubbornly holding on to it that you can't see the better thing that he has. And that is a big problem for our thought control in the Christian life. That's what we talk about in the restore part. What was God's original design? So let's jump to that then. If we're talking about redemptive thinking and rescuing our thoughts, right, and getting to the kind of thought control that God says is available to us, then the first thing we're going to look at is our truth, purpose, and identity. Are the thoughts that we're having, are they aligning with the truth and purpose and identity that we carry as image bearers? So the truth of us, that we are God's children, we were created on purpose and for purpose means God's sovereign, that he has ways that are best for us. So are my thoughts acknowledging that God is sovereign in my life still? Or are they suggesting that God isn't on the throne, that somebody else is, that that the enemy has control or that they're winning the battle? Are my thoughts acknowledging that God's way are best? Or am I panicking and turning to other things, suggesting that I can trust something more than God's guidance and God's way of thinking? Are my thoughts showing that I have more faith in the brokenness of man or the brokenness of this world than I do in God? And so we look at those things and we say, where do I need to step away from that and insert God's truth? What about my purpose? Like, what is my purpose in life? Are my thoughts suggesting that my purpose has been somewhere dismissed or that I'm now living in something else? Where is God's purpose for my life in my thoughts? How am I acknowledging that? And God is not evil, so he doesn't tempt us. That's what scripture says. We are given trials to grow us and to discipline us, but he doesn't tempt us with evil because he's not evil. So are the purposes that I'm looking at, the way I'm responding to life and what my purpose is and what my agenda is and my way of thinking, is it acknowledging the truth of who God is and who I am and what he has for me? And then finally, the image bearing part, right? I. Is, am I acting like I'm an image bearer that he is jealous of 
because he wants to glorify his image of himself in me and through my life. Am I acting like that? Am I thinking that way? Or is my panic and my worry and my anxiety and my fear, the pain or my own stubborn desires, are they distracting me from that fact that that's why I exist and that's what he wants to do with me? Not only does he love me so much, but he wants the best for me because he's not an evil God. Because he only wants the best for me, he's going to do that. He has the power to do that, and he's creative enough to do that in my life. Does my identity acknowledge those things? Does the truth and purpose I'm, I'm thinking about acknowledge those things? That's how we would use truth, purpose, and identity to explore what's going on in that. And then we get to the rescue, redeem, and restore narrative. right? And the idea here is, number one, what needs to be rescued? Is there anything that really needs to be rescued? If there is real hurt, real danger, real threat, real pain going on in life, then maybe there is something there that needs to be rescued. And that might invite us to go any number of different routes. We may need to look for mental health therapy. We may need to just go to resources such as parents or friends or mentors and ask for help. Or we may actually need to go to a doctor or we may need to look for some other kind of assistance in life to to be rescued from something that's very real. Right, But then once that's taken care of, what we need to ask is, it's not a real thing in my life. That pain isn't really present. That fear isn't really present. But am I acting like I think and I believe it is still real? And that's when we need to be rescued from at that point. And then we, mean, we need to move on to the redeem. And the redeem means I need to create a narrative in my mind that is redeemed. It's based on the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind and self-control that God has given me. It needs to be based on the redemptive work that's been accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross. In his words, it is finished. And it needs to be looking toward the hope that he says I'm called to in Jesus Christ. And there's something here that I get from Brooke Castillo, who I already talked about. One time I heard her talking and she said something about business. She said there's only two types of problems in business. And I want to propose that these two problems are actually the only two problems in life. And actually only one of them's a problem. All right? The two types of problems are drama and math problems. Now, math problems are problems that always have a solution. Math problems always have a solution. Either addition, adding something to it, starting something, or subtraction, taking something away, or stopping something. And sometimes we just need to rearrange the elements. So if we do this first, then the equation comes out and it works all right. Math problems are the only real types of problems in life. We just have to identify what is the math problem. If I say I can't afford this, that's drama. There's no math in there for me to to solve. But if I say, how can I afford this? Now I have a math problem. There's something there for me to solve. The great enemy of math problems, the great enemy for us overcoming most problems in our life is that we get distracted by drama problems, which aren't real problems. The human brain loves stories. We love narratives and we love to get absorbed into drama. That's all they are. They're stories, but they have no math problems in them. They will say things like, this is happening because of this. This is the fault. This is the blame. This is your shame. This is everything. And it focuses us on thinking about gossip and lies and fear and pain and desires. But all we need to do is find the real math problem inside of it, 
that we can handle, that we can solve. And then the great thing about math problems is that they're always temporary because once you solve them, once you solve a math problem, it's no longer a problem. Therefore, the only problems that exist in this world, in this life, they're temporary because they can be solved. Somebody might say, no, Tony, you don't understand. If I have cancer, I can't solve that. That's, that's, that's a real problem. That, spoken in that way, that's drama. There's no math in there for me to, to solve. But if I say, how then am I going to live the rest of my life in response to the fact that I have cancer? That's the math problem. Am I going to live with fear and shame and regret? And am I going to mourn and be depressed? Or am I going to live victoriously, as victoriously as I can in the face of this diagnosis? That is what we're called to. That is the living courageously that I talked about in the Truth, Purpose, and Identity episode. So I want to encourage you to think about problems in life as math problems or drama. If it's drama, we need to get away from it. I can't be thinking about that. See how this comes into redemptive thinking? Now I need to find the math problem. Think about the math problem. Find a way to solve it. And I know that if I do, it won't be a problem anymore. Then we get to the restoration part of the narrative. So when we're talking about redemptive thinking, if I'm having a difficult time controlling my thoughts, what is God's design for whatever situation I'm going through. If I'm thinking, if I'm looking at fear, I'm focused on fear. If I'm focused on pain, if I'm focused on some selfish desire that I have, what do I need to rethink there? What is God's design for that specific situation originally? And how do I get back to that? That's how we apply the rescue, redeem, restore narrative. Right, So we, we go through first when we look at our truth, our purpose, and identity. How is that being assaulted? And then how is that affecting uh, the way that we're living, as in this narrative of Rescue, Redeem, Restore? Where do we go with that? And then once we're done with that, we look at stewardship. The way that I think about things challenges the way that I steward the five areas of my life that we look at in this image-born life coaching strategy. So the word, how am I stewarding the way that I think about his word? Am I twisting it? to allow me to do what I want to do? Am I not acknowledging certain truths? Am I unaware of some things and I need to go find some answers? What about relationships? Am I stewarding my relationships well as I'm thinking about whatever I'm focused on? Am I stewarding my responsibilities well in life, the responsibilities that God has given me, those things that are part of my purpose and my design, or have I gotten sidetracked on that? Am I stewarding my resources well? That can be anything from relationships to money to assets that I own. But am I stewarding those well when I'm focused so narrowly on one thing in my life? And then finally is the real life experiences, right? Those little moments in life that happen. Am I deciding to be in control of those moments in the way that I act and feel? Or am I allowing those to control me? Am I being reactive in life instead of responsive to the call on my life from God. That's how we think about this redemptive thinking. That's how we apply the model of truth, purpose, identity, rescue, redeem, restore, and stewardship. So I know I've gone long in this episode. I hope though in going through this, it's been helpful for you to think about how do I control my thoughts? 
Number one, scripture tells us that we can. And it's not a magic trick. We have to be disciplined and we have to be reasoning. We have to go back and we have to control what comes into our mind. Take it captive. Make it obedient to Christ. Ask for wisdom. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can discern that which is good, perfect, and pleasing, both for our lives, for the rest of the world around us, and in God's design. I hope this has been helpful to you, and I want to encourage you to go out today and bear the image as only you can. Take care, friends.